you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. This is what I believe to be the third and final message that I'll preach at this time regarding music. Uh, The first two were specifically regarding the music of the church. Uh, But one of the things that I have found in time Uh, that there are sometimes several arguments that are presented. And I'd just like to kind of work through those arguments a a little bit together with you tonight. One of the things that I find sometimes when you preach on music, people take it really personally. Uh, One of the things you'll hear, that's my music. I really came to the realization of this about 20 years ago. Uh, we had made a, I had made a biblical decision not to use some of the writers. If I were to name the family, you would a majority of you would well know who I am referring to. But they had made some statements publicly that they had gone to uh, the rock culture to learn how to write music that would be more appealing to people, so that they could draw bigger crowds. That concerned me. And the second thing, that they had made an on-stage presence uh, uh, with some people uh, of the the homosexual gender uh, of nature and uh, stood in allegiance with them and said that, proclaimed that uh, God didn't want them to change and wanted them to stay just the way they were. And so I just decided from that point forward, I wasn't going to condemn them. I wasn't going to condemn all their music. We just weren't going to use them in our worship here. And uh, someone left the church. He said, well, that's my music and that's, that's my songs. And while I, I was trying to be very biblical about the decision, I realized sometimes we, we really take things like this personally. I want you to understand as we present and as I present biblical truths, it's never the intent that I have is to attack you personally for some of the choices that you've made. And I've tried to make it clear that I'm making a choice to protect an entire flock while you may make some choices that are different in your own home. Uh, So the idea, well, this is my music, uh, well, is it? Uh, is it your music or is it the Lord's? How are we to use it? Uh, I, I could use this statement, well, it's my phone. Does that mean I can use it whatever way I want? Uh, it's my computer. Uh, you know, we can claim things are for our possession. It just doesn't give us the right to do anything we want with it. So in coming to you tonight, I really understand that while I'm trying to answer some of the arguments and trying to get us to see through them biblically, I do understand this becomes a personal topic. But I do want you to understand it's not desired to be a personal attack. But to know, because I know the sensitivity of it, I really want us to carefully go before the Lord in prayer before we progress forward. Let's go to the Father in a word of prayer. Dear Father, I come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, so grateful for the opportunity that we do have to worship you. And it was my privilege to catch the end of the young ladies playing tonight beautifully uh, for their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for music. I believe you ordained music. I, I am prone to believe Satan had a key 
component in the music uh, that before his fall, and so no doubt he's involved in the destruction of mankind through music. And so, Father, I recognize that sometimes it's really hard for us uh, when a pastor or a preacher speaks upon about music, and, and there are other topics like this, because they really become personal to us. Uh, Father, I'm not sure that they become personal because oh, uh, sometimes we're in the wrong or sometimes we're just uh, oversensitive to the topic, but I just pray you give us a real good spirit tonight. As I explain a couple of the arguments that are often used in this idea of music. And uh, Father, don't expect to be long tonight with your word, but I do expect to be thorough in our understanding of it. Uh, So guide, help us to uh, set our hearts to learn and to benefit by the challenge of your word tonight. And I just pray that we'll have a good spirit and be able to have that type of spirit as we leave the building tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, I want you to understand at times there are decisions made within the body of Christ that are made because we, we all come from different backgrounds. Uh, I remember having a friend in Bible college who used to pray for a rock and roll band. And so when it came to music, he was very sensitive because he didn't want to be brought back or tempted to go back into that culture. So he tried to set his standard of music way far away from anything. Uh, that would seem to be controversial because he said, it's just too much of a temptation for me. Uh, he says, I, I now want music that will please the Lord, and I don't, I don't want to be tempted to go back into it. Uh, some have come from various churches or styles of worship, and so uh, some of the, the temptation to go back into that, and when they're trying to stay away from that. So I really want our, our, our music as a fellowship here to glorify the Lord and not be a temptation to anyone. Uh, so we're going to attempt. We're going to strive to use music that is very carefully chosen and uh, very carefully sung, just so we don't become an offense or uh, to draw others back into temptation away from the Lord. So again, it's it's not uh, that I'm trying to condemn you for the music that you're listening to, though maybe the Lord needs to condemn you for the music you're listening to. Uh, but uh, again, the desire is to minister to the body of Christ here. We also, uh, I've heard two other arguments throughout my time here uh, over the last 25 plus years, and one of them is, well, we live in the age of grace. You ever heard that as an argument for doing something? So we live in the age of grace. What does that mean? What do they mean by that? Uh, by the way, be ready if you tell me you live, you're living in the age of grace as a defense. I'm going to ask you what you mean by that, and I want you to give me a Bible defense of that. Uh, so what do you mean by, well, we live in the age of grace? Uh, the few that I've asked that have ventured and answered to me uh, basically have come to this conclusion. Well, God, we live, we're living in an age where God doesn't judge us any longer for what we do. We can do whatever we want, and it's all covered by God's grace. Is that an accurate description of God's grace? Are we living in an age where God is saying, you can do what you want, and I'll forgive you for doing whatever you want? Is, is that 
God's reason for exercising grace toward us? And I think the answer to that is no. And I'd like to show you probably from the passage, I think that is clearest. uh, And that's from Romans chapter 5 going into chapter 6 here. Uh, Just kind of trying to understand a little bit of what, what is grace for? Uh, I'll begin with verse number 19, just to give us a little bit of the background and draw us into the passage of Scripture. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one, speaking now of Christ, the first one speaking of Adam, uh, many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. The, The law was never created to make men righteous. I hope you understand that. In a careful study of God's word, you'll conclude that. The law was not made to make men righteous. The law was made to make men unrighteous, in a sense. Or maybe I'll say it better by saying helping men to recognize their sinfulness. So they would recognize by seeing the law that God had. Well, I can't attain unto all that and helping mankind to see their sinfulness. So he says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So God was going to bring forth something now that man's sin has been exposed, if I may say it that way. God now has a remedy for that, and that's his grace. His grace is willingness to forgive us of our sin. Verse number 21, That the sin... Uh, that as sin, excuse me, hath reigned unto grace uh, and the death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life. So, so the grace was meant to help us to live a righteous life. The grace isn't to give us the ability to just continue to sin. The grace is to bring us out of the sin. So, so notice again, verse number 21 there, that as Sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And so he's saying that the purpose for grace is to give us victory over sin, not to allow sin. So be very careful when we would strive to use that argument, well, I'm living in the age of grace, meaning I can now do whatever I want. Well, what's God's answer to that? Well, look at chapter 6, verse 1. Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? What's the answer? God forbid that that would be your conclusion. So again, at times, and I don't want to just limit this to music, but I want to use music as part of it as well. For us to say, well, we live in the age of grace, what, well, what are you saying by that? What, what does the age of grace mean to you? Does the age of grace mean... I can do whatever I want and God will forgive me. Well, God forbid that that we would take that type of a mentality. The reason God has offered grace is because man has found himself miserable, bound by sin. And God is going to offer him righteousness and deliverance through his grace. Uh, We would see that in Ephesians chapter 2 and many other passages of Scripture. So to draw that conclusion that, hey, I, I can do whatever I want because I'm living in the age of grace. What do you mean by that? And what does God mean by the age of grace? I think we can clearly see by this passage and others 
uh, that God is not saying that the grace is there to give you permission to continue to do wrong. God forbid. As we continue to sin there. and uh, God is actually then going to, uh, in the rest here of Romans chapter 6, offer us to, uh, and really in a release from sin. We're no longer, uh, sin is now dead to us. We no longer have to live under the power of sin. Under, because according to Romans chapter 6 here, we have been delivered from the power of sin and can now take our members and use them as instruments of righteousness unto God. That's the power of grace. The power of grace is not to allow you to continue to sin, but to deliver you from that sin. So turn with me now to 1 Corinthians. And we're not going far as we make these turns. Most of the rest of the turns will be in 1 Corinthians. There's one final argument that I'd like to address tonight, and that is the idea of Christian liberty. Uh, many present the argument, well, we have Christian liberty. Again, let me, let me come back with questions. It's always best uh, when someone makes a statement like this to ask them questions. Again, what, what do you mean by that? What, what do you mean by claiming Christian liberty? Uh, if, if they know the reference, it's rare, uh, but they will often partially quote or try to quote uh, one of several verses found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And again, the idea is, as Christians, we now have the liberty to make whatever choices we want to make. We do believe in individual soul liberty, don't we? We do, don't we? I would say amen to that. But does that give us the liberty to choose something that is sinful or choose something that is not as holy as the Lord wants us to? And I, I would simply use the words of Paul, God forbid we make that conclusion. Let me show you, first of all, the passages of Scripture these are drawn from. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I want you to notice verse number 22, or excuse me, verse number 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful unto me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Go over to chapter 10 with me and look at verse number 23. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. So again, the idea of, uh, of being presented here, the things are lawful for me, but not everything is beneficial. If you would now back up a little bit, go to chapter 8. I've skipped over that for a purpose. I thought verses... The two verses I've already referred to are most equally aligned. So I want you to look at chapter 8 and verse number 9. But take heed, lest, any, uh, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. So now, now really guard yourself, lest this liberty of yours. So again, when I read that, I understand that Paul isn't accepting this liberty argument. Uh, he says, well, now if you want to use this liberty, be careful in using this liberty that you become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Now, there's a little bit of a wording variation. You don't need to turn there, but in, in Romans chapter 14, Paul would say this, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, 
But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. With these verses in mind, I'd like you to go back, if you would, with me to 1 Corinthians 6, verse number 12. And I want to deal with it within its context. So when someone brings up Christian liberty, and they will often, if they can, quote one of these verses, excuse me, or a portion of these verses, they're often going to bring up the opening phrase and a phrase that is repeated four times in these two verses, all things are lawful unto me. What do you mean by that? What is the claim? Is the claim that nothing is against the law once I become a Christian? I can do whatever I want. Is that, is that Paul's argument here? Uh, all things are lawful, I can do whatever I want. Is, is that what Paul is trying to promote here? First of all, I don't think that's at all what Paul is trying to promote. And secondly, I think he's using their argument and, and trying to, uh, I guess, build up this straw man, so to speak, and, and work with it. Is Paul saying that all things, all things are lawful for a Christian? Well, if you go just in the immediate context of this passage, he had talked in chapter 5 about a man who had commit, was committing immorality within the church. Was Paul saying, that's lawful? Is that, that, was that Paul's argument? Not at all. Actually, Paul asked for the excommunication of that gentleman until he got right with the Lord and got right with those around him. And then in 2 Corinthians and uh, he encouraged them, okay, he's overcome with much sorrow, bring him back in. He's repented, he's gotten right with the Lord and with others, allow him to come back into the body of Christ. Paul wasn't saying, all things are lawful, you can do whatever you want. Paul, in fact, was asking for the excommunication of someone because of their sin. You go into chapter 6, here that, that he's dealing with, again, he's talking about there are brothers and, and sisters in Christ who are taking one another to court. Was Paul saying, hey, that's okay. Everything's lawful for you as a Christian. You can do whatever you want. Well, that's not at all what he said. In fact, in that passage of Scripture, he says, you know what? It'd be better for you to be defrauded, meaning it'd be better for you to go without some certain things. It'd be better for you at times to be ripped off than for you to take another brother or sister to court. Like he said, can't you judge that amongst yourselves? So again, in the context of Scripture, uh, we will often hear somebody, well, we've got Christian liberty. The, the, the argument of Christian liberty is not, I can do whatever I want. God has now given me the liberty. I'm one of his children. I can do whatever I want. I'll just look at the context. It's not at all what Paul is saying. In fact, in dealing with the immediate context of all of these passages, he's actually dealing with Jewish traditions and Jewish laws, and most notably that of eating meats that were offered to idols. If you go back and study the context, it's mentioned in every one of these passages. So there was the argument of Judaism, and there was the, uh, those that were trying to say, you know, I, I am free, I can do whatever I want, no matter what anybody thinks. And, and Paul is coming to this conclusion. By the way, I think it's really interesting in every case that Paul says there's Christian liberty, in no case does he use it. Because in every situation he says, you know what, while I could claim Christian liberty, I don't think it's best for those that are around me. 
You know, we often want our own rights. God often wants us to look to the well-being of others around us. So again, let's look at what Paul is saying here then in the context of this situation. When they are saying, all things are lawful unto me, he says, but all things are not expedient. All things are not beneficial. All things are not the best. They're saying all things are lawful for me, but I, I would not be brought under the power of any. He says, some of them, you're actually being controlled by the things that you say are lawful to do. Again, in the uh, 10th chapter and the 23rd verse, while they're saying all things are lawful for me, uh, but all things are not expedient, all things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Not everything is going to build up the body of Christ. So you waving your banner of uh, the Christian liberty is not to the betterment and the benefit of other people. Again, he would give them the warning in chapter 8 and verse number 9, but take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours. So again, I, I think if you were to give the argument of Christian liberty to Paul, Paul would say, you know what, I don't really want anything of that, that argument. Uh, I don't want to be in the, in the claim of we got Christian liberty to do whatever we want. Paul says, this is your liberty, not mine. Uh, Paul gives a defense to that, and I believe is exercising that. Would you look in chapter 7 with me? I want you to notice uh, another verse here. I went ahead and did a search just of all the passages that speak of liberty. I've already used one of them. Uh, it's chapter 8 and verse number 9 when he speaks of this liberty of yours. Uh, and, I, and I'll reference that again briefly just because I didn't see the verse to the end. But look in chapter 7 and verse number 39. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. So only in a right relationship with the Lord. So again, it wasn't just a free, she can do whatever she wants. Well, you can only do this if it's something that's going to please the Lord. Notice also, this is talking about being under the law. By the law, she's bound as long as he's alive, but once he passes then she's at liberty to be married as long as it's someone that the Lord would choose for her to marry. This liberty isn't a freedom to do whatever we want. Again, I'm not making this argument just for music's sake. I'm making this argument for every sake in our lives. Look again, chapter 8 and verse number 9. I apologize for taking you back to there. I should have made note of this before taking you away from it, but you're right there anyway. But take heed lest... By any means, this liberties of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Again, he's saying, consider those around you. Uh, and I, I think we need to do that as a body of believers. I'm going to give account uh, for the leading of the flock here, and uh, which is a sobering thing to consider before the Lord, uh, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing, the Scripture says, or in several other passages that say that I will give an account for how I lead the body of Christ here. Uh, by the way, it is a lot easier sitting on that side than it is on this standing on this side. Uh, there's a few that would agree with me. They've been there, done that. Uh, I, I remember uh, sitting in the pew and being critical sometimes of the pastor, and I, I had to go back and apologize uh, later on when I recognized all the, 
all the impact of the decision that he had to make, all the things he had to consider. I'm just looking at it, tunnel vision. How does it impact me? And uh, I, I want it to be different because of me. I wasn't considering everyone else. Shame on me. Shame on me. Uh, look in chapter 10 with me now and go to verse number 29. Here's the third and final passage that mentions this liberty. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? So again, he said, I don't have the freedom here. To My liberty is somewhat constrained because of someone else's conscience. I, I'm sorry, we may not have chosen the exact song that you may have liked to have sung or uh, may have not made the exact decision that you would have made in various situations. Uh, but we do have to consider the conscience of very many, over 200 people, in making the decisions here. And so again, each one of these passages is saying, this liberty uh, doesn't have to deal with just you, it has to deal with many others. I'd like you to turn one final time with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. I studied this hours upon hours, multiple times in my life. I have come to this conclusion, the liberty uh, being discussed here is really a freedom from the law. And Paul is warning, yes, while you are free from the law and you are under grace, there's actually a greater responsibility and a greater restriction to grace than the law. And I thoroughly believe that upon careful study of it all. I think under grace, there are more and greater demands than living under the law. I just note, noted this verse and one other that I'll just read to you, but Galatians 5.13 says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, or that freedom from the law, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Again, if you're, you're claiming Christian liberty in one area or another, stop and consider these passages very closely. Because he says, please don't allow this to be an occasion for you to do something sinful without the consideration of how this impacts others. And listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter 2, as free and not using your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Again, you are the servants of the Lord, so use those decisions carefully. So are you free to make the decision you would like within your own home? I, I truly believe you are. I truly believe you have that right, but I truly believe that you ought to make those choices very carefully. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the, to the glory of God. You do have to stop and examine the music that you're choosing and really ask yourself this question, does this glorify the Lord? Is this something pleasing to the Lord? Is this something the Lord wants me to live? Well, I might like it. Well, because of my flesh, I might like a lot of things. Uh, but is this something that truly is glorifying and pleasing to the Lord? Also, you have to recognize, especially if you have children, if, if you are... 
uh, leading, your, your home is living a more contemporary style and you're wanting to have a conservative church, as you raise your children, you're, you're going to be feeding them contemporary, contemporary, contemporary. When they have a choice of making a church decision, they're going to then choose a church that feeds what they like. So you've raised them now to enjoy that style. I'm just giving that as, as a something to consider because what you do is you raise those children and you, you develop an appetite for it. Uh, and then we, we wonder as they get older in life and they, they oh man, they're, now they're not even in a fundamental type of a church, they're, they're in an ecumenical type of church. Well, very often it's because they, they have draw, they've been drawn to that style of music. And that style of music is generally the first of many things to go in those churches. And so what you may be doing as you raise your children, again, if you're not careful, if you raise those children with a very contemporary style of worship within the home, uh, please don't expect the children to then want to have the type of worship you have in the church as they get older. Uh, They're going to desire to feed that style as well. Again, ultimately, everything needs to be for the Lord's honor and glory. May we please Him. May we make choices by the way, the scripture says over and over in various ways, you know, uh, approve all things, but hold on to that which is good. Cleave on to that which is righteous. Please hold on to that which pleases the Lord. Uh, turn away from that which you don't think that the Lord would ultimately be, be pleased with, or a style that you don't think is really pleasing and glorifying to the Lord. So again, some of the arguments. Well, this is my music. I can, I can make the choices I want. Well, again, we can make those choices about our phones, our computers, our cars, our houses, our relationships, and everything. We need to be really careful. Well, I live in the age of grace. Well, what do you mean by that? What does God mean by that age of grace? That doesn't mean that we can sin and do whatever we want to do. It means God's going to give us, by His grace, the power to get victory over sin, not the, not the permission to practice sin. And then, well, I, I believe in Christian liberty. Well, I do too, uh, but only in a biblical sense. I believe we are free from the law. I think grace, I think the law brought us to Christ, according to the book of Galatians, and saw our need then for Christ. Uh, I do believe then, uh, with that liberty of ours, we need to be careful that we don't just consider what we want, but what is better for those that are around us. I, I trust you'll just take these verses and consider them. Uh, again, I, I never say just take what I say and wholly lean to it and do it because I said so. I'd love you to search the Scripture. I, I hope you didn't feel like I had a forceful spirit tonight because that wasn't my desire. My desire is just to feed you the Word and take those passages and I can give you more. But I think by the grace of God, we need to make decisions that will ultimately glorify the Lord and that will ultimately benefit other people, that will edify other people so that they grow draw closer to the Lord as well. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Father, I come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for music and uh, some of the songs that we sang today and some of the songs that were played. Uh, Lord, I I really just uh, love entering into worshiping of you. But Father, our flesh gets in there at times, and I just pray you'd help me with that as well. I just pray in all decisions in life, whether whether it be music or any other standard of living, that we would carefully associate everything according to your word. 
uh, that we would approve all things and hold to that which is good, especially as we're raising children. May we make wise decisions. Uh, May we recognize temptations that we might lead our children into by making unwise decisions. So uh, various parts of life, may we stop and think, "Is, is this best for my child? Is this going to lead them to a a closer relationship with you? Uh, Is this going to help them to desire uh, that closeness and relationship with the Lord? So I just pray that we'll be uh, careful in making those decisions in life. Give us great wisdom. May we refer most to the Scriptures, and uh, may we make decisions based upon your holy word and what pleases you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.